So y'all, we are doing our thing. And uh, if you came to the last big group, uh, then you will know that we are beginning a new series, right? And so we're beginning a new series on the life of Joseph. And the last time that we met, we did sort of an introduction. And really, we just kind of dug into the backstory. And we looked at, at Joseph's family history. And we see kind of the upbringing that leads to the Joseph that we find in Genesis chapter 37. And we learned quite a bit about Joseph, right? We, we learned about his upbringing and that it was perhaps a little bit more difficult, uh, a little bit more troubling than you might assume at first glance, uh, that there was family drama and dysfunction all around him. And, and yet, like we, we've read the end of the story, right? And if you haven't read the end of the story, spoiler alert, Joseph becomes the prime minister of the most powerful nation in the world. And he saves the entire world from starvation. Epic, epic, right? And so the, the lesson to us is that despite our background, despite the, the drama, the dysfunction that surrounds us, God can still use us, right? He can elevate us beyond uh, our present situation and he can use us for his glory. So instead of allowing these hardships in our life to define us, instead of allowing the, the hardships in our life to derail us, through his providence, he can actually use it to develop us, right? And so, you know, Sam always, some of y'all know Pastor Sam. If not, you should get to know Pastor Sam. But one of the analogies he always uses is that God is like a judo mastermind, right? So I don't know about y'all, but I recently saw uh, the new Marvel movie with the Ten Rings, right? Ooh, if you haven't seen it, you're missing out. I'm just telling you, it's so good. Y'all, I love kung fu movies, and it was, it was top notch, right? And so the thing about judo is it's this martial arts form. And in judo, you're, you're taking your opponent's momentum and your opponent's energy, and you're using it against them, right? So they're striking you, and you're like, ooh, boom. And then they, like, hit themselves in the face, right? That's what, that's what judo is all about. And so God is this judo mastermind, right? And so he takes these travesties and these horrible things that happen in our life. And through his providence, he's actually able to take these circumstances to use it against the enemy, right? For him to get glory out of it. And so we can take a situation where a guy like Joseph is sold into slavery. It can seem like a horrible situation and woe is me, this thing happened to me. He's like, yeah, but I'm actually setting you up to be prime minister of Egypt. Hello, somebody, right? It's awesome. So that's the God that we serve. And so we, we started to kind of dig into that as we were looking at, at Joseph's background. Uh, we digested kind of the, the first encounter with Joseph. Uh, in verse 2, we interact with Joseph for the first time. And, and it's a small verse, but there's a lot packed in there, right? We considered his age. We considered his occupation. We considered his sibling dynamics, his character. And so Joseph, he's this 17-year-old man, right? He, he's a young man. And he would have been one of the youngest amongst his siblings, right? He was the 11 out of 12 brothers that were born. And we discussed how at 17 years old, he'd be entering into a new season of life, right? He'd be entering into manhood. He'd be taking on more responsibilities for himself. He'd be growing beyond the oversight of his father. And we learned that he was a shepherd. That was his occupation. And it was his father's occupation before him. And we found him in verse two, kind of learning the ins and outs of the family business. And we learned that while he certainly would have looked up to his brothers, they took the freedom of being away from home to engage in unspeakable acts. 
And rather than giving in to peer pressure uh, of his older brothers, Joseph, we, we learned, was a man of integrity, right? And, and when no one else was looking and temptation came knocking at his door, he chose to do what was right. And so today we're going to learn a little bit more about his brothers and the fact that his brothers hated him, like just point blank. It says it like three times in this one passage. His brothers hated him, right? Uh, so if you haven't already, you can be turning to Genesis chapter 37. Oh, I, so I got to say something. Yo, that food was so fire. It was so good. So for, for anybody that's an international student, I know Lee, when you first got here, that term fire was really confusing for you. But if you say that a food is fire, that means it's really, really good, right? It's really, really good. Um, and that was definitely worth the wait in it. Like it made me want to cry. Like it was so good, it made me want to cry. Um, so yeah, turn to Genesis 37. We'll be camping out in verses three through 11 today. And we're gonna begin a conversation about dealing with hatred. I would imagine that we'll actually continue on to this uh, next time that we meet. Uh, but we're going to consider what it looks like um, for, for us to, to, to deal with hatred uh, and what it looks like for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, so Joseph, he's the greatest type of Christ in our Bible, right? And we talked about this last time. Uh, but one reoccurring theme that we're going to see in this study is that Joseph is a spitting image of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, while it's fun to get around and, you know, the, this book, it is incredible. There's no other book like it in the world. And we could get into it and we could get deep and we could get heady and we could get excited and we could study this thing and geek out on the historical context and never consider how it applies to our life. And we'd be wasting our time, right? And never consider how this can transform us to look a little bit more like Christ. And so uh, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna consider how this does apply to our life and how this can make us look like Christ. And so I'm excited to see Jesus in this passage. And I'm burdened that in considering it, in considering the life of Joseph, that we might look a little bit more like Jesus, that we'd look a little bit more like Christ. And so let's read the passage, um, and then I'll pray, and we'll see what God has for us today. Uh, verse 3 says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose uh, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheath. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told his father and, and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. 
And so, Lord, as we do uh, consider uh, this passage, uh, man, I'm just a man, and this is uh, a holy book, and these are holy words, and uh, they can be used to completely transform our lives if we let them, Lord. And so this evening, uh, I just pray that we'd come with an open heart, that we'd have soft hearts that can receive your word, that we'd have open ears to receive your word, and Lord, that we'd find ourselves in this passage and the things that you have to speak and to communicate to us, Lord. Uh, Lord, that, that we'd see the, the picture of Jesus, who is full of love and not of hatred, Lord. And so teach us as we consider your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've got a lot to unpack here, right? In summary, uh, Joseph's father, uh, his name's Israel. You can see his name is also Jacob in other parts. Uh, but he loved Joseph more than all his uh, other, other children, right? And so the siblings, they were able to see this love on display. Uh, Joseph, he receives this special coat of many colors. And so th the love was very, very visible. And because of Joseph's brother's hatred, because of uh, Joseph, like his brothers hated him, right? Uh, because the, the father loved him and favored him over all the other siblings, his brothers hated him. And so next we see Joseph has two dreams. And he goes on to share these dreams with his family. Uh, where sheaves and where celestial bodies bow in obeisance to him. And, and the stars and the sheaves, they clearly represent Joseph's brothers and his family uh, that are bowing towards him. And so they, they hate him all the more because of this. And so as we're speaking about Joseph's brothers hating him, this is like a major theme that we see kind of arise in this chapter. Uh, in the book of Genesis, that word hate, or, or hatred in some form, it shows up 10 times in the entire book. There's 50 chapters. And, and three of those instances are in this passage right here. And so it's a major theme that we see arising within the passage. Uh, we see that they, they hate him three times. We see that they envied him at least once. And by the end of the chapter, we see that this hatred and that this envying is boiling up to them plotting to actually kill their brother. And so this is a really big deal. And it's really interesting when you compare this to, to God's chief attribute. Do you guys know what God's chief attribute is? Love, that's a good one. I, I, I will go with love because I think that is, that, that's up there. What, what Kenny Morgan would say is that God's chief attribute is his holiness because he's a thrice holy God, right? At multiple points throughout the Bible, you see that God is holy, holy, holy. And no other attribute is mentioned like that in the Bible. And so he's a thrice holy God. And if we look at this, we see that, man, Joseph's brothers are tripping because they're a thrice hatred brethren, right? They hate, hate, hate Joseph. Uh, and so we see uh, that this is just kind of a mounting theme throughout the passage. Uh, you see, Joseph was one of the, the, the last children to be born. He's one of the, the youngest siblings. And so because of that, typically the blessing and the inheritance would be passed down to the eldest son. And then there'd be like a trickle-down effect throughout the family, right? But, but the oldest son, he gets the, the blessing, he gets the inheritance. But here we learn that Joseph is the favorite son and that he's loved above his siblings, that he receives special treatment from his father, that he got fitted with like, like we were talking about the Met Gala and it had nothing on Joseph's colorful jacket, right? This dude had a, a coat of many colors. Like he was, he was popping, he looked good, right? Uh, and it would have set him apart. It would have distinguished him from his brothers. And just like today, clothes, they, they signify and they communicate an awful lot. 
right? And, and this would have been an agricultural society. So we already talked that, that Joseph was a shepherd. And so his brothers, they'd be slaving out there in the field. They'd be taking care of the animals, right? And so, you know, it might have looked great to, to be in these new threads, uh, but it also would have removed him from the field. To, to wear a garment like this, it would signify status. And just like you wouldn't, you know, lay asphalt or drive a tractor or swap an engine in an Armani suit, like you're not going out to herd shepherds in this coat of many colors, right? And so this is a very special uh, attire and Joseph's special garment would not have been fit for manual labor. And while this love, it might've seemed harmless to give him th this attire, it fueled sibling rivalry. And the hatred and the envy was growing towards Joseph. The text says in verse four, that when the brethren saw their father's love toward him, more than all his brethren, they hated him. So when the brothers saw, right, there's this visible distinction of their father's love on Joseph, like, like they could see this jacket of many colors. Jacob's love for Joseph was very, very visible and it was on display for all to see. They could clearly see how Joseph was set apart and distinguished from all the rest of them. And this fueled hatred and anger toward, towards Joseph, right? And these are very dangerous emotions when they're not checked and balanced. And so we can see this uncontrolled anger result in mankind's first murder. We see that in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, John, John goes on to say that whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. We see that in 1 John 3.15. Uh, but to be clear, this anger, this frustration, this hatred towards Joseph, it's actually a symptom, right? It's not the actual root cause. It's not the, the, the root sin. Uh, Pastor Alan Shelby, who's this incredible theologian, says uh, very observantly that Joseph's brothers, for them to get angry with Jacob would be to face the truth, right? So, so if they got angry with their father, they'd actually have to face the truth of their neglect and their desire for, for fatherly attention. Instead, they project on Joseph what's wrong with them. And some of you all miss that. And so I'm going to be kind and I'm going to rewind and pull on Alan Shelby and say, for, 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 for Joseph's brothers to get angry with Jacob would be to face the truth. Instead, they project on Joseph what's wrong with them. And we see, this prob uh, we see the problem uh, had nothing to do with Joseph at, at all, right? The, the problem was their longing and desire for paternal approval, for blessing that had been neglected to them. And they were jealous and they were envious of what Joseph had by, by, by Joseph being the apple of their father's eye. And so Joseph just became the collateral damage to it all. And so our key point number one is that anger, no, is that hatred and envy are two noticeable signs of being focused on self and not trusting God's sovereignty in our life, right? Hatred and envy are two noticeable signs of being focused on self and not trusting God's sovereignty in our life. When you believe that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, you can respond to trials with joy instead of anger, right? When we acknowledge who God is, when we acknowledge his sovereignty, when we acknowledge that he can use all, that he is actually an incredible judo mastermind, then man, even when, when life is coming at us like a spider monkey, like even when it's crazy, even when it's beyond anything that we think that we can handle, because it is beyond anything that we can handle, it's in God's hands, 
And that's where God's providence has eyes, right? And so Romans 5, verses 1 through 5 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice and hope to the glory of God. And what's so incredible about this is verse 3, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. And you're like, what? He's like, yeah, we can joy. We, we can have joy despite our circumstances, right? So even when tribulation is all around us, that we can joy in that because we know that, that tribulation worketh patience and patience work in, works in experience and experience works hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which giveth unto us, right? It's, it's incredible. James kind of echoes this idea in chapter one, verses one through four. James, a servant of the Lord uh, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. What? Count, count temptation joy? Yeah, because we know this, that the trying of our faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and, and, uh, and <clears throat> that you may be perfect and, and, and entire, wanting nothing. And so when you believe that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love him, to those who are called according to his purpose, you can respond to trials with joy instead of anger, instead of hatred. And when I'm uh, focused on myself and what I'm not getting, I, I won't be focused on others and what I can give. Right? If I'm focused on what I'm missing out on and on what I'm not getting, so Joseph's brothers on, on what they're missing out on, what they're not getting, well, they're, they're brewing up this hatred and bitterness and anger towards their brother. And they're not able to actually love him, to view him as Christ would see him, right? They're not able to, to focus on what they could give to him, right? So I want us to acknowledge that um, carnal anger, this carnal hatred, it's a detriment to biblical love. Because they hated Joseph, there's no way that they could love him. They're, they're, they're opposites. They're two, two sides of a coin, right? Hatred and love are, are opposite of one another. And so th this hatred, this carnal hatred, it's a detriment to biblical love. And they were never willing to pursue him. They are never willing to get to know him. This, this carnal hatred was in direct opposite opposition to biblical relationships and to any sort of maturation that can happen as you pursue Christ. And so failing to put off anger, failing to put off hatred, it only grieves the spirit. But it also gives our enemy, it gives Satan opportunity within our life. And man, if he finds any kink in our armor, he's going to expose it and he's going to use it to disrupt unity, not just within the body, but we see specifically here within Joseph's family, right? He takes these opportunities to, to disrupt unity. And we see this on display in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, it's the story of Cain and Abel. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Cain and Abel, they're, they're two brothers, right? And they both come to make these offerings before God. And Cain comes, and he makes an offering that's not acceptable to God, right? He, he doesn't sacrifice to God the, the way that's good, the way that's right, the, the way that, that God desires. And Abel comes before God, and he makes an offering and it's accepted, right? And what happens is instead of dealing with his relationship with God the Father, Cain becomes envious, he becomes jealous of Abel. 
And so rather than facing the truth and being obedient to God's word by just making a good sacrifice, Cain projects onto Abel what's wrong with him. And he kills his little brother. Satan used this opportunity in his life, and we see that it grieved the Lord. And we also see that it caused disunity and fracturing within the family. We see that, that Cain is separated from the rest of the family. Right? We, we see that it results in the literal death of his brother, all because of envy. And we see this played out over and over again through the scriptures. Even Jesus, even Christ was rejected of his brothers. And this same hatred and envy that's at work, it's at work in the life of Joseph's siblings. And we'll see that this ends in the same conclusion. By verse 18 of this very chapter, Joseph's brothers saw him afar off, and even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Crazy. This root of bitterness, this hatred, it brews up to where they're willing to lash out against their brother and to slay him. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, we gain some more insights between Cain and Abel and the quarrel that they have. It says, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. And so we learn here that, that Cain slew Abel, uh, but, but not for you know, Abel's evil works, not for, for anything bad that Abel did, but because Cain's own works were, were, were horrible, right? because his own works were evil. You see, Cain's evil works were exposed alongside his brother's righteous works. And here we discover a profound truth. So often we pour out hatred uh, on these circumstances, on individuals rather than the actual problems. It's misguided. In the story of Joseph, the brothers had evil works and they hated Joseph for their own faults. Not, not for, for Joseph's faults, but for their own faults. The anger and hatred was misplaced when it was applied to Joseph's life. It's horrible. And, and we, we can't afford to harbor hatred or envy against our brothers and sisters. While our own hatred may not result in, in literal death of a brother and sister, it will literally create fracturing. It will literally create disunity in a body that Jesus bled and died to unite. And just as uh, you know, we're soon going to find out, that, that this unity it, it grieves the Father greatly. And we're going to see this in the life of Joseph and his siblings. That man, Jacob, Israel was all sorts of torn up. He was so grieved about the, the, the loss of his son, right? And so whenever we allow hatred to, to brew, it creates disunity within the body. And that's grievous to the father. It's horrible. You know, especially when we consider, uh, you know, Jesus, you know, when we look at our own lives, the, the wrongs that we've done, he, he never threw us away. And so key point number two is that we must put off anger and put on the new man. You got to put off anger. You got to wax. We're going with the, the martial arts theme, right? You got to wax off and we got to wax on, right? So you got to put off anger and we got to put on the new man. And some of y'all are like, the new man, what is that? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'll tell you. In, in Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, the, the Bible says, that you put off concerning your former conversation. This is your, your old lifestyle. This is your old man. These are the, the, the corrupt things that you did in your flesh in this body. Lust, right? Uh, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which is after God, 
uh, is created uh, in righteousness and true holiness. And so what we're called to do is to put off this old person that's just a, a flesh bag, and we're put, putting on the spirit, right? Through the renewing of our mind, through this book, we get to put on someone that's greater than us. And this Holy Spirit that's in us has access to our life. And it tells us to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking to put, uh, put that away from you with all malice uh, and be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, or even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so there are things, there are acts that we put off with the old man. And, and, and envy, malice, hatred, like all these things are part of that old man that we're called to, to put off. And in its place, we have to replace it with something. There's this law of replacements, right? Whenever you get rid of something, usually something else comes in its place. And so for, for me, you know, if I'm getting rid of a habit, I can't just get rid of the habit because then I've got like empty space. Inevitably, it's going to get filled with something. And so whenever I get rid of a bad habit, I have to replace it with a good habit. Otherwise, I'm just going to replace it with another bad habit. Right. And so we see this all the time. Like, uh, I don't know, if, like people that, that quit smoking cigarettes, you'll see this. A lot of times they'll walk around with like a toothpick that they're constantly chewing on or they're chewing bubble gum or a nicotine, pad, you know. They can't just quit it. They have to replace it with something else. And so we find this principle in other areas of our life. And with our old man, we got to put it off and we got to put on a new man. We got to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And with that comes a right response to hatred. But instead of hating, instead of strife, instead of envy, instead of lashing out with wrath against a brother, we're to be kind to one another and we're to be tenderhearted and we're supposed to forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You know that you've been forgiven. That, that you're, at, man, we're all scumbags. That's awesome, right? We're, we're all horrible people. You're like, man, I didn't come here to be like slapped in the face and to be called a scumbag. Well, yeah, like we're, we've all done horrible things. I, I can look at my life and I can see that I've lied and I've cheated and I've, I've done all these things that, that make me not righteous. And despite that, God forgives me and says that he loves me and wants to be in relationship with me. Man, if he can forgive us, how could we not forgive others? In Colossians 3, 8 through 11, it says, But now put ye also put off all, all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. So all of these things we need to put away. Lie not to one another, saying that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man. So we got to put off the old man and put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian nor uh, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And so the Bible clearly tells off to put off hatred. It clearly tells off to put on the new man. And guys, this is why I'm, like, I'm so excited about studying the life of Joseph, right? The, the Bible tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, uh, that, that we have to take every thought captive, right? And we do this with the word of God. We fight with the word. We allow it to, to wash over us. We allow the word of God to, to indwell in us richly. And suddenly we're, we're yielding our members to the Holy Spirit. And we're beginning to produce the, the, the same fruit that someone that's filled with the spirit would produce. And suddenly we're, we're singing to our psalms and to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And instead of being filled with, with, with lust and the deeds of this flesh, Suddenly we're, we're walking in the spirit. And when we walk in the spirit, we, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Instead, what's coming out of our life is the fruit of the Spirit. And suddenly you look at me and you see love and you see joy and you see peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness, right? And you see all these fruit of the Spirit coming out of my life. It's not because I'm awesome. It's because I put off the old man and now I'm walking in the new man and he's awesome. Man, the new man is awesome. And suddenly you look at me and you're seeing Christ. Not like, man, you're seeing Christ in me. You're seeing this book that I'm consuming start to, to work its way out of me, right? And now we're, we're not seeing with carnal eyes anymore. Now we're seeing with Christ's eyes. And, and now we're, we're acting with Christ's love, which is sacrificial. Uh, what's look at, you know, it looks at a crowd and instead of, of seeing or, or hating, or, or it's filled with compassion towards people. And it looks at sinners and it forgives sinners, right? His love, it wasn't transactional. It wasn't conditional. It was unconditional love. And suddenly, when we yield to the Spirit, when we put off our old man and put on the new man, instead of hatred, we give out love. And so key point number three is that we must choose to love instead of hate. And I know this can sound really cheesy, right? I choose to love instead of hate. Peace, brother. Like, no, no, this isn't like some hippy-dippy, you know. But it's so true. When I'm telling you to, to choose to love, it's because love is a choice. This world is trying to tell you that love is some emotion and some feeling, right? Love is an action that you choose to engage in. It's laying down your life for someone else. And love, by God's definition, it's not conditional. It's not, man, I'm going to love you if you do this for me. That's not love. That's cheap. That's cheap, right? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And so we see an incredible example of this in Joseph's life. If you would start turning with me to the end of Genesis, to, to Genesis chapter 50, uh, just like Jesus or the angelic host, we're going to see that Joseph encourages his brothers repeatedly and he offers them love and tells them to fear not. And so while you're turning there, if it's not evident, I, I really love the Bible. I think it's like the coolest thing since sliced bread. But it's before sliced bread, so it's like the coolest thing ever is just how that works. Uh, the Bible is really, really cool. And one of the cool things about the Bible is that it wasn't written in a Western culture, right? And so it wasn't written in a Western culture. It wasn't written in a, a Western mindset. And so rather than progressing... Uh, just linearly, which the Bible does progress linearly, right? But it also progresses cyclically. And you're like, I can't even understand that. You know, join the club. But but one of the easiest ways for me to observe the, the cyclical nature of the Bible is through parallelism, right? Uh, we see that that the Jewish people they are masters uh, at implementing parallelism within their literature, within their thought, within their conversation. And this passage alone. We see the, the love of Joseph's father juxtaposed against the hatred of his brothers, right? It's a simple example of parallelism in this passage. But as we continue to study, we start to see this parallelism played out on a macro level, like on a big level, right? So it's not just these verses. It goes into passages and, and chapters and even entire books that play off of one another. And so I think it's fitting to, to, to drive this point home by looking at a parallel account at the end of the book. In Genesis chapter 50, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 15. It says, 
this is, I mean, I told you guys that he's become like a prime minister. So this is like the ultimate spoiler. We're beginning a series on Joseph and jumping immediately to the end. It's great. Uh, but Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. Crazy, because they're the one that's hating on Joseph, right? Joseph's about to hate us. They're, they're, they're terrified. And will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. So they're thinking back and they're like, yo, we weren't very nice to Joseph. Now he's large and in charge. And he's about to get his vengeance because dad's out of the way. And so they, they come up with a scheme and they sent a messenger into Joseph saying, thy father did command thee before he died saying, so shall ye say unto Joseph, forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph, his response is, he wept when they spake it unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we be thy servants. And check out, man, Joseph, he is, this is so classy. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is to uh, this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in, in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived 110 years. Whoa. Right? So in, in Genesis 37, it deals with the hostility and the hatred of Joseph's brothers against him, right? In Genesis 37, the passage we just read, we see Joseph dreams a dream that his brothers are going to bow before him. And by the end of, of this story in Genesis 50, we see this dream come to fruition, right? We, we see his brothers bowing in obeisance to him. And, and while they fear that Joseph uh, will hate them, just like his brothers hated him at the beginning, we see that Joseph completely flips this on his head, right? Instead of responding with a natural fleshly response and responding in hatred and taking vengeance, right? His brothers, for, for, just to fill in some gaps, his brothers sold him into slavery. That's like a pretty big no-no, right? So his brothers, they wanted to kill him. And we see it gets to the point where, where they throw him in a pit. They're ready to kill him. And instead... They're more greedy than they hate him at the end of the day. They're just like, ah, like we could kill him or we could make some money. They're like, if he's a slave, he's good for debt anyways. But we could at least get some cash off of this. What? Crazy. They, they did him dirty. And so now, you know, Joseph's in a place where he can get vengeance, where he can get back at him. That would be the natural thing to do. If someone sells me into slavery and now I'm large and in charge and they're coming to me as a servant, Man, like everything in my flesh wants to take advantage of that, right? Everything in my flesh wants to take vengeance on them. And instead, we see that Joseph chooses to love them. In verse 21, it says, Now therefore, fear ye not. What? what? Fear ye not? 
That's his response to him. Hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's what we see in First John chapter 3, right? This perfect love, it casts out fear. And so he says, fear not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. This is incredible. Following their father's death and their mindset, there's no one left to protect them. Right? Now Joseph, he's finally going to claim his vengeance. But his heart, rather than growing bitter and malice, was to love them. Rather than getting even with them, he looked to serve them. He nourished them. He comforted them. He spake kindly to them. He gave out love instead of hatred. Right? Uh, there's an a incredible theologian named Charles Spurgeon. He says, for us to hate those who are in error, or to talk to them with contempt, or to wish them ill, or to do them wrong, it's not according to the spirit of Christ. You cannot cast out Satan by Satan, nor correct error by violence, nor overcome hate by hate. The conquering weapon of the Christian is love. The conquering weapon of the Christian is love. And so instead of hating, we, 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 lot, we ought to, to, to love other people. Uh, as we end today, we're going to look at one aspect of Christ that we find in this passage, and it's unconditional love. Uh, unconditional, it means just that. It's without condition. It means that it's not transactional, that there's no prerequisite for this love. And, and unlike this world, you know, God's not looking to, at our job and how much money that we make to see, oh man, you know, would he be a good husband? How much money does he make? Does he have a job, right? God's not looking to, to, to see what our paycheck looks like. God's not looking to see how dapper we dress. Uh, God's not looking to see if we have, you know, a charismatic personality and are funny. Like, like all these things that the world is looking for to decide whether they want to enter into a love relationship with someone, God's not looking at any of that. God decided that he loves us regardless, which is crazy, especially when you look at, think about how you love other people, you know? Like, man, I really love my mom, and she makes really good food. And not, I'm not saying that those things are, are relate, related, but, you know, like, we, we love people in such a transactional manner where, where it's, what can I get out of this? And, and God, he, he loves us without conditions, realizing that you have nothing to bring to the table already. If he is a righteous and a holy God, man, how could he ever be impressed with you? And yet, even though we have nothing to bring to the table, the, the, the Bible tells us that our own works, that our own righteousness is as filthy rags. It's nothing. And, and yet, Jesus decided to love us. And, and the craziest thing, in Romans 5, verse 8, it says that God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and so the crazy thing isn't that, you know, he's not just looking at these things. He's looking at the fact that we're in direct opposition to who he is. That while he's holy, righteous, and incredible, we're like dirt, wicked, and horrible, right? He sees us in, in everything that we do, everything that's in us is in direct opposition to who he is because he is awesome. And awesome is a word that we just throw around really casually as Americans, right? But God, he is actually awesome. He is someone to be in awe of when you consider his creation, like when, when consider his power, his might, his intellect, he is awesome. And he, he takes notice of us. And while we're yet sinners operating against his will, 
He was willing to lay down his life for us. It's crazy. It's crazy. I told you earlier that, that I know that I'm a horrible person, you know, that I've committed sins. And the crazy thing to me is that Jesus paid with his own blood for the sins that I've committed. He could look at me and he could say, I love you. So Jesus's love is unconditional. And if you don't know that love, if you've never experienced that love, then man, as we wrap up, I'd love to meet with you. Because it's something that you want to, to know. It's something that you want to take advantage of and to live in. Right? We can look at this passage and we can see that, that Joseph's brothers saw what they deserved. Joseph's brothers saw that they did evil to their brother and they deserved judgment. And yet, whenever they approached Joseph, they found forgiveness. They found forgiveness. So Joseph's love... Uh, is incredible. And, and in this passage, we see that Joseph's love was unconditional. Despite the circumstances, despite the malice of his brothers, despite how he was treated, his response was love. He responded to evil that they poured out to him with love, and we ought to do the same. And so I'm going to close in prayer, and we're going to have a very uh, short season of just connecting with our groups with the primary focus to pray for the welcome party. And then we're going to wrap up really quickly. Um, but Lord, we, we do thank you so much for the example of Joseph. We thank you uh, for your love, that we can look at Joseph uh, and we can see that despite our circumstances, despite the hatred that's towards us, that we always have the opportunity to respond in love rather than hate. And so, Lord, we pray that, that you would teach us to put off the old man and to put on the new man, uh, to walk in your spirit, uh, to allow your word to indwell in us richly that we could take every thought captive uh, and respond as you would. Uh, and your love is unconditional uh, and that leads to casting out fear. What a, what a beautiful thing. And so, Lord, we just pray that, that you'd be glorified tonight, uh, that we can look at the example, the testimony of Joseph and actually live it out. Amen.